The reading is from Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in, in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Shorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one who knows the Son is ex and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings decide to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Thank you very much, Anna Kana. Please keep your Bibles open to that passage as we study it together, and let me pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this very striking a mission trip recorded for us in Luke's gospel, the briefing of the Lord Jesus, then the debriefing after the 72 return. 
Help us to learn about our part, our commission into Jesus' mission from this passage. Help us to listen and learn together as you speak to us from your word for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, in our small groups over the course of the year, the whole church family is going to be studying Luke chapters 9 to 19. And the overarching theme of these chapters is following the cross-bound Christ. Following the cross-bound Christ. And Luke writes, Luke and Acts, his double-volume work, to give us certainty. And so our expectation and our confident expectation, because this is God's Word given to us, is that by the end of this year, in our small groups, we will really understand, we will really know for certain what following the cross-bound Christ means. And one of the big areas in Luke chapters 9 to 19 is following Jesus into his mission. So what does it look like, what does it feel like to be involved in Jesus' mission. And we will learn, and we will at the same time be sent into that mission or called into it. We'll teach our heads and engage our hearts, and my prayer is that we will increasingly as a church and as individuals engage in the mission that Christ has called us into. Now, what we've got before us this morning is a mission trip. It's a briefing by Jesus to these 72, and they go off. We don't know what happens when they're off, presumably what Jesus said would happen, but they come back and we get a debriefing. So we've got a briefing and a debriefing about a mission trip. Now, we're in Luke chapter 10. There's the whole of Luke to go, and then there's Acts. So we're very early on in the narrative. So some of the stuff recorded here is particular to that particular early period. It's not all relevant to us, but much of it is. And what we're going to do is use what Jesus teaches the 72 in terms of his mission briefing to brief us, as it were, for our participation in Christ's mission. Now, I think the topic for student lunch today, I hope I'm not wrong, just a short talk on how to make the most out of time at university. It's a really good thing to think about on day one or day one after Freshers' Week when your head is a little clearer. What a great time to think about what being called into, in your time at uni, these four years or whatever, Christ's mission. What will it look like? What will it be like? What are the priorities? What should I expect? What does Jesus want me to do? Why am I here? And it will challenge us, but it will encourage us. There's lots of nuggets of encouragement in these passages. Okay, let's dive in firstly to the briefing uh, Jesus gives the 72, and that's in verses 1 to 16. So what is it that we learn about Jesus' mission? First thing we learn is that it's a global mission. So Jesus commissioned 72. 
Now, that number is symbolic at this stage of Luke's gospel. It echoes uh, Genesis chapter 10, and that number 72 is symbolic of all the nations of the earth. That's what it means. The mission that you and I are called into is a global mission. Now, as soon as we use a term like global mission, we think, and this is a kind of Western culture, we think over there. But strikingly, at Service One today, there were four people here from the U.S. because God has laid on their hearts a desire to plant a church. And they're coming to our home this afternoon to talk about that. They have come here in response to God's call to global mission. We welcome them into this unreached part of the world now. Global mission is not over there. Global mission is here and over there and everywhere. So we send people to Burghead. If you don't know where Burghead is, it's on the north coast of Scotland. Yep, no, it's not, is it? It's on the Murray coast, which is nearly the north coast of Scotland. Shows you how much I know about Scotland. That's engaging in global missions, sending a couple there. We have a number of people overseas. That's engaging in global mission. But global mission is across the street. Global mission is the flat next door. Global mission is my flatmates. Global mission is to my family. Global mission is everywhere. And Jesus' mission is a global mission. Now, secondly, Jesus' global mission involves every Christian. Notice that Luke says, the Lord appointed 72 others. Others. In other words, not the apostles, not the disciples. There was an earlier mission trip back in chapter 9 that they were sent on. Now it's 72 others, symbolic of what will happen post the cross, post the resurrection, post Pentecost, is every Christian will be called to participate in spreading the gospel over the earth. So it's a global mission you and I are called into, and everyone is called into that mission. Now, at this point in service one, I could see people thinking, not me, not me, and for a number of reasons. I'm not gifted. I'm not gifted. He or she is better. But I wonder, too, in churches, if the not me is, is, is not me in another way, just no. Just no. I won't do it. Do I have enough courage? Every Christian is called into global mission. And the call of God is always attended with the supernatural power of God to do it. God knows we will never find the voice to say to somebody, do you know what, through Jesus, you can have peace with God for all eternity through the forgiveness of your sins. I'm never going to find the courage to say that. But Jesus in me by his Spirit gives me that courage. Whether you're a glass half empty or a glass half full or an extrovert or an introvert, supernatural capacity, supernatural capacity to speak the gospel, supernatural call. It's a global mission. It's for every Christian. That means you, if you're a Christian. He really does. And the devil wants to whisper in our ears, he doesn't, not me, he, Jesus, doesn't mean you. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. 
And that's not a rebuke, it's a call, it's an invitation, it's, a, it's an encouragement. Yes, he does mean you. He does mean you. He means uh, me. It's a global mission. It's a mission for uh, every Christian. And then something uh, very important, it is Jesus' mission that he commissions us into. It's his mission. Notice in verse 1, he sent them. So when you engage in evangelism, you are being sent by the Lord Jesus. A point repeated in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray and be willing to be the answer to that prayer. Sent out called by the Lord of the harvest. It's a global mission that involves you, and you are called into Christ's mission. It's His mission. It's His global mission. And the harvest is His harvest. He ripens. He brings people to the point of faith. And your commission and mine is to, what a job it is, bring in the harvest. Bring in the harvest. That's a great thing. Now, what does that look like? Well, think of, think of, uh, let me see if I can remember 25 years back to university. What, what, what hasn't changed? Well, not everyone is a Christian. That hasn't changed. Whether in your flat, your hall, on your course, what do you not know? You don't know where the harvest is. You don't know who... God has and who is working in our heart. You don't know that. Now, we'll get to what we are to do in a minute. We are to speak the gospel. But God says to you, look, I want you in your four years at uni, I want you to gather in that harvest. It's there. Or to our church, as this building gets redeveloped, so take a look. It'll not be like this much longer. How are we going to use this building to gather in the harvest? What a job that is, isn't it? It's not go and invent a strategy for mission. It's not go and work out what you to do. It's go and gather in the harvest. Now, you're sitting here, and earlier on you were thinking, oh, I can't do this, and he doesn't mean me. He means that person who's more gifted. Now we're thinking, well, there is no harvest. Yes, there is. Look at us. We are the harvest. We are the harvest. We send people to East Asia. What a harvest there is there. Where is the harvest in Morningside in these streets? One of the good things about coronavirus, well, there aren't many good things. One of them is that the doors are open and you can walk up the street and you hear the singing. And it's amazing how many people I see loitering at the gate and looking at me. People here. And that's a, a metaphor for us going out to speak the gospel. There's a harvest. And would we believe that more than we do? Would we have the confidence 
that in our courses, in our workplaces, in our streets, in our neighborhoods, in the community where God has placed us as a church, there is a harvest to be gathered in. We cannot manufacture the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives, but we trust and believe the promise there's a harvest to be gathered in. There is a harvest, and what an encouragement that is. Bring it in. Yes, you, Jesus says, I want you to gather it in. And the question is, do we believe that there is a harvest to be gathered in Morningside in the universities or in the city in Scotland, in the UK, in Mali, in China, in the United States, in the Middle East? But let's not get carried away in my street, in my school, in my flat, in my family. And the Lord Jesus says, there is. So, mission is global. Mission is for us all. Uh, mission, it is Christ's mission we are called into. We are given supernatural power and capacity. It's His harvest. There is a harvest. We are to gather it in. And just as we're, on, we're kind of riding on, on cloud nine, this is a great motivational speech from Jesus. He gives it. He gives us other stuff. Like, this is dangerous. Look at verse uh, 3. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's exactly right. That these couples who are here in service one, coming to Scotland to, to plant churches, that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, or, or, or Christian students, putting your faith on the line. You're going to feel like a lamb among wolves, partly as a sheer dint of comparative numbers. And the antagonism and opposition to Christian things, it's strange, isn't it? It's a strange uh, phrase from the Lord Jesus. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's just surely foolhardy. I mean, you wouldn't, if you had a lamb, I mean, we don't, many of us have lambs, so we've got to get into the country mind here. If you had a lamb, you wouldn't send it out where there were wolves, would you? But Jesus does. What, what, what's going on there? He's saying it's foolhardy. It's daft. What does that make you do if you are a lamb amongst wolves? You've got to trust the shepherd. You've got to trust the shepherd. You've got to trust the Lord Jesus. So mission is global, mission involves you and me. Mission is Christ's harvest that we gather in, and mission is dangerous. Now, what about verse uh, 4? Somebody suggested that verse 4 might be a picture of an undergraduate student. I'm not sure about that. Carry no money bag. Well, that might be true. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I mean, it's interesting for you guys, many of you are, 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 are young, you're at the start of adult life, and you haven't, you haven't got cluttered up yet with stuff. You haven't got cluttered up with the stuff that those of us who are older get cluttered up with in life. You know, stuff, stuff. We amass stuff. And the call to mission here is travel light. Light doesn't mean literally, well, you know, no knapsack, no sandals. The point is, do, 
Don't let lots of stuff that you accumulate in life and other priorities mean that you get choked and cannot do mission. That's what it's saying. And notice the one that heads up the list. Money. 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 I think it would be fair to say that the Bible has a lot to say about the idol of money. Don't, don't, don't feel you can't engage in mission because it means that you will not have stuff. It's, it's absurd to say carry no money back when you go out in mission. The point there is that Jesus will provide, and He has. And we've seen enough in, in church life here to know that Jesus will provide. For example, planning Redeemer, we did it. In some ways, it was a bit daft. I kind of thought it was a bit daft. Could we do it? Could we do it? Could we do it? And yet, God provided. And many of you have come to take up these places where people left. And that these couples came at service one, and they're coming to see us this afternoon. And I've texted Sam. Sam, can you come and can you, can you meet them? It's church planters. Now, Very often, preachers will say that following the Lord Jesus is the most important thing in your life, and therefore, mission is the most important thing we do. And all of a sudden, we feel kind of guilt-tripped, and I feel guilt-tripped that I'm not doing everything I can do as a Christian minister. And people feel guilt-tripped in a congregation because they're working flat out in a professional job and they're studying or doing whatever. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that whatever we do vocationally, wherever we are, whatever stage we are at in life, there is nothing more important than the role we all have in the context we are in to be engaged in Christ's mission. That's what it's saying. And that's right. It's right that we are engaged as a priority in telling people what they need to know in order that they will be safe with God for all eternity. It's right that that's the priority. It's right that every Christian is given that responsibility to go and tell. For there is no more persuasive evangelist than someone who has salvation with the Word of God and the Gospel in their hands and in their heart. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Travel light, don't get weighed down, and be flexible, ready and willing to go where the Lord wants you to go. Now, here's my plug for the day. Many of you remember Craig Anderson who trained at uh, Chalmers. Many of you don't. Craig was here, oh, seven, eight years ago. And he trained here, then he went to Charleston, where Andy Robertson is, and trained with him. And this time next year, Craig and Amy and their three little ones are starting a new church in Galashiels, one of Scotland's border towns. And they need 20 people to go, and 20 people to be part of a launch team, along with the local Christians. Now, I just put that out to you and wonder if any of us could go. 
That's the kind of mindset Jesus is asking for. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Be flexible enough in life to go. Now, I know this is hard to work out. It's hard enough to even talk to our neighbors. But God provides. He provides the means, the money, the opportunity, the voice, the answers, the Holy Spirit. We just need to go. Now, what? Uh, let me just narrow down as we try and get to the, we want to get to the debrief. We're still in the briefing, but we can come back next week. What's really important when we think about mission is that mission is uh, speaking the gospel. Now, this is really, really important. Mission is speaking the gospel. Why? Because the message to humanity that they can have peace with God through the forgiveness of sins achieved by Jesus' death and resurrection is what saves people. There are many things we do that are an expression or a consequence of our faith. But mission is telling people that. That's the heart of it. Jesus made it clear to us, and we've seen this in Luke, that speaking that message was his priority. That is why I've come, he said. It is what he commissioned the apostles to do. It is what he commissioned the 72 to do. It is what he commissions us to do. So look at verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Now, let's just pause and ponder that phrase, peace be to this house. Now, I've just said to you that mission is telling people that through Jesus their sins can be forgiven. That's the message. And here Jesus is saying, here's the message. Peace be to this house. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now there's a massively misunderstood phrase. Let's see what it means biblically. Turn back in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 79. Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 79. This is Zechariah's prophecy about his son, John the Baptist. Luke 1, 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Salvation is the forgiveness of sins. That's what salvation is. Verse 78, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The way of peace is the way of forgiveness. To be at peace with God is to be a forgiven sinner. To be at peace with God is the judgment of God being removed. Peace is an objective reality. 
It is what the Christian has, peace with a holy God. That's the message we are to proclaim. One more cross-reference, Luke 7, 48 to 50. Jesus' encounter with a sinful woman. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 48 of chapter 7, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now, Christian mission, Christian mission, wherever you engage in it, wherever you are in the world, is the verbal proclamation of the offer of peace, reconciliation with God through the forgiveness of sins. And there is a place for gaining the right to speak. And there is, there must be. We don't go in with both feet. There is a place for breaking the ground. There is a place for engaging with people where they are. There is a place for apologetics. But none of these is mission. Mission is the proclamation of what is on offer from Jesus. You see, in the end of the day, all these things are important. But remember back to the beginning of the briefing from Jesus. He's sending us out into his mission, his harvest. We don't know where it is. So we've got to get to the point where we say to people, do you know that Jesus offers you peace with God through the forgiveness of your sins? We've got to say that. We've got to say it from the Bible. We've got to tell the truth. If it wasn't Jesus' mission and his harvest, then we would need to employ all sorts of tactics. But it's his mission. We are to gather the harvest. And Jesus says to us, Luke, I want you to go, and I want you to go to that home, that flat, that house, that town, that university, and I want you to tell people that they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And leave it to me to see who responds. And when you see a response, well, welcome them in. And if you don't, we'll speak to someone else and speak to someone else and speak to someone else. In some ways, the, the call to mission in the Christian life is, is very simple. And yet, if I look at my own life, we stand on the brink of, is it really that simple? Is that what I'm to do? Do you mean me? Is there a harvest? And you look back, those of us who are older, on our Christian lives, and we think, well, these are simple promises from the Lord Jesus, and we just haven't believed them. It's as simple as that often. And of course, Jesus doesn't pretend everyone will respond. In fact, many don't. Mission means division. That's verses 6 through 12. 
People will accept it, people will reject it. You go to one house, one flat, they accept it, another they reject it, one town, another. That's what happened, it's true, it's a dividing mission. It is a dividing mission. And then the last point before the debrief, and we'll only debrief momentarily because we're nearly at half an hour. And you can debrief at length in your small group in the study. That's why it's good to parallel the two. The stakes are awfully high. To reject Jesus is terribly serious, for there is everlasting judgment. I think Jesus says that in these verses 12, 13, 14, and so on, to remind us how important it is that we engage in mission. To remind us, and we all have we all have family and friends who aren't Christians. Those of you who are younger have many more than those of us who are older. Not because all of our friends and family are converted, but because it's so, so easy to surround yourself as you grow older just with Christians. All these people you know who aren't Christians, their eternal destiny is judgment. That's not to be a rod on our back. That's to be a gracious prompt to our heart. So serious. And so they go, and they come back. Now, my clock has hit 30 minutes. The soup is on. The debriefing. Okay, all I want to tell you is this. What do you expect in the debriefing, verses 17 to 24? Well, here we all are back after our mission. We're kind of bruised, battered, a little tired, hungry perhaps. You know, let's all lick our wounds. The dominant word in verses 17 to 24 is rejoice. It was a shock to me this week. We have these ministry prep meetings for our sermons, and one of the teams said, look, we've got to bring that. That's what it says. You know, we don't expect it to say rejoice, but it says rejoice. They came back rejoicing. And then we see in verses 21 to 24, in the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. What are they rejoicing in? What is there to rejoice in in mission? Well, think of everything you do on the earth. What a wonderful thing it is to be part of the... The, the reconciliation of humanity to God. What a wonderful thing it is, and these references are to Genesis 3, to, to be part of the standing on the head of Satan and delivering people from darkness to light. There is no better thing. There is no greater thing. And, and, and there isn't. And that is a joy and a rejoicing that is otherworldly. And many Christians, many Christians, many churches do not experience that joy and that rejoicing for one simple reason, they will not go. They will not go. They just won't go. Because your mind is saying, not me, I can, I don't want to. 
and there is joy. You know, we're rightly cautious of any prosperity in the gospel that is material, for example. But we need to embrace the blessings and the privileges of the Christian life and engaging in mission, which is joy and rejoicing. And when you have the privilege, having spoken the gospel to many people of pulling in the harvest, then the joy you experience, and it is unbridled joy, is the same joy that the Son, the Lord of the harvest, experience as Father, Son, and Spirit in concert, lead someone to faith and use you in the process. That's joyful. That's wonderful. Now, my prayer for Chalmers this year and for you all as undergrads and those of us who, like me, cannot remember what that was like, apart from the fact it wasn't all that different, that we will all be convinced by God and His Word that the commission into Christ's mission means you and me. And there's a harvest. There's a harvest for us to bring in. It's what Jesus says. It's what Jesus says. Whether it's in Mali or Morningside, on the other side of the world or across the road, let's believe the promise and go out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this Bible passage. Encouraging, challenging, realistic. Help us simply to listen and to do what it says and to believe Jesus' promise. For his sake we pray. Amen.